0: Well, Merry Christmas. God bless each and every one of you. So glad that uh, you've tuned in today. And I just hope that you are uh, having a great Christmas season. My name is Lawrence Cruz, and I'm the site pastor of Clearview Community Church, the Wasaga Campus. It's my delight today to be continuing in our series in Advent, Awaiting Jesus, is what we titled the series. And today, the title of the message is awaiting his presence. Well, this is it. It's Christmas Day, of course. It's the big day when we talk about the birth of Jesus. Well, to start things off, I want to share a story. I was in grade four, and I got a note. I was sitting in the classroom. We were writing Test. We were taking a test, and right beside me, one of my classmates just hands me this little square piece of paper. And he had taken this HB pencil and written the words, you're dead. Of course, that got my attention. This guy was like double my size. And I got to just pause and let you know, like even in hindsight, it wasn't even spelled correctly. Y-O-U-R dead. And I thank God that I had the presence of mind not to correct his grammar at that point (laughs) because he would have throttled me. But it's like, what? I'm writing this test and I get this fear in me. It's like, he's threatening me. He's bullying me, but what's the deal? I said, why? He says, because you won't tell me the answer to this question. Well, he never asked me. He's a kid, we're young, he's pulling a power play move to basically get me to help him cheat on the test well did I didn't I No, I didn't tell him any answers didn't do all of that which meant I had to leave the classroom worrying with this sense of angst lack of hope lack of peace you know where I'm going with all this like oh no what is this guy gonna do to me friends with that I want to continue in our message today. And so here's what I want us to learn from the message. When intimidating or frightening situations confront any of the people of God, God wants to deliver them. When enemies threaten God's people, hear me, we can be delivered by the mercy of God. God is by nature compassionate and caring. But this deliverance is not realized, ready, unless we trust him. We're gonna read from the book of Isaiah chapter seven today. But before we do, oh, we've gotta set the stage. Back in the day, there was a great dispute in Israel, the nation chosen by God, about who was to become king. Two tribes, Judah and Benjamin, they didn't agree with the proposed king of Israel, whose name happened to be Rehoboam. So there's this divide. In result, they decided to forsake their inheritance. And they, these two, became the southern kingdom of Judah. Hang on to that, because that plays into our story today. The northern 10 tribes remained one people group and kept the name Israel. And the once unified tribes of Jacob were now two nations, two houses, two brothers, if you will, that had become enemies. And the prophets wept over her fate of the nation, right? They were a people of God after all. But their pride and hunger for power, it took over. We see throughout the rest of the Old Testament how these two nations fought with one another. What? Yeah, the divided kingdom. They each became strong, independent, created two distinct lineages in history. Each had their own kings, even their own prophets. And sadly, also both of these nations, I'm referring to Israel in the north, Judah in the south, fell into captivity. So let's head now to today's Bible story as we read Isaiah 7, verses 1 through 6. When Ahaz was king of Judah, that's the south, King Rezin and Pekah, king of Israel, marched up to fight against Jerusalem, but they couldn't overpower it. Now, the house of David was told, Aram has allied itself with Ephraim. So the hearts of Ahaz and his people were shaken as the trees of the forest were shaken by the wind. Are you getting it? Then the Lord said to Isaiah, go out, you and your son shear Jashub, and meet Ahaz at the end of the aqueduct of the upper pool on the road to the launderer's field. Wow, okay, specific place. And say to him, this is to Ahaz in the south be careful, keep calm, don't be afraid, don't lose heart because of these two smoldering stubs of firewood, because of the fierce anger of Rezin and Aram and of the son of Ramaliah. Aram, Ephraim, and Ramalia's son have plotted your ruin. Yeah, they're coming against you saying, Oh, let us invade Judah. Let us tear it apart and divide it among ourselves and make the son of Tabeel king over it. So you're out, buddy. There's a new king coming. Not a good day for the nation of Judah. Assyria was growing stronger and more and more threatening at this time as well. And so for this reason, the northern kingdom tried to pressure the southern kingdom into an alliance against Assyria, right? But Ahaz in the south, he said, no way, I refuse. Well, why? Why would he do that? Because he had already secretly made a treaty with Assyria, who was putting the pressure on. What? The king was playing power politics. It sounds like the show Survivor. Have you seen it? Everybody making an alliance here so they don't get voted off. That's what's going on here. And so because Ahaz in the south had made an alliance with the enemy, the northern kingdom planned to overthrow Ahaz. And accordingly, Ahaz was a frightened man. Remember my story? You're dead, is what they were saying to him. Friend, please don't miss what I'm about to say next. The heart of Ahaz had been wavering and the hearts of the people had been shaking for fear. That's what the Bible says. But Isaiah came with a message. What is it? Hope and assurance. Take heed, Isaiah said, and be quiet. Fear not and don't be faint hearted. He's speaking to Judah in the south. How would Ahaz find this inner peace? By believing God's promise that his kingdoms, Judah's, enemies would be defeated. Don't worry about these people who are coming at you. All right, verse 7 of Isaiah 7. Yet this is what the sovereign Lord says. It's not going to take place. These enemies, it's not going to happen. For the head of Aram is Damascus, and the head of Damascus is only Resin. Within 65 years, Ephraim will be too shattered to be a people. Are you hearing the prophecy? The head of Ephraim is Samaria, and the head of Samaria is only Ramalia's son. Okay, you're getting it. All these people, it's not going to happen. Listen to this. If you do not stand firm in your faith, Ahaz, you won't stand at all. What a Bible verse. Another version, and a New King James version says, If you won't believe, you're surely not going to be established. Faith in the promises of God is the only way for you and I to find peace in the midst of trouble. In fact, elsewhere in Isaiah, it says, You will keep him in perfect peace, whose mind is stayed on you because he trusts in you. So, Did Ahaz trust and believe God? Not at all. If Ahaz had believed God's promise, he would have broken his alliance with Assyria and then called the whole nation to pray and praise the Lord and call on his name. But instead, he continued in what? Unbelief. Even in a last attempt to stir belief within Ahaz, the Lord himself made an unusual offer to him. Ahaz could ask the Lord for a supernatural sign. Go ahead. No matter what the sign, God will grant his request. Look at verse 10. Again, the Lord spoke to Ahaz. Ask the Lord your God for a sign, whether in the deepest depths or the highest heights. But Ahaz rejected the offer. What? And then he used this excuse that he wouldn't put the Lord to a test. Bogus. Sounds so noble, so godly, but that's not what's going on here. In this statement, Ahaz, the king, was actually exposing his wicked, hypocritical heart. Although God's word forbids putting the Lord to a test, this offer was being made by God himself. And when God makes a promise to a person, that individual is not putting God to the test by claiming that promise. Someone get that, because that's a winner right there. Ahaz's refusal was not due to his concern for obeying God's word. He was evil. He was a man who wanted nothing to do with God. He barricaded the door of the temple. He disallowed worship, for heaven's sakes. His real reason for rejecting the offer of the Lord was that he had already decided to trust Assyria and not the Lord. And when Ahaz rejected God's offer, righteous anger surged through the prophet Isaiah's body. He immediately rebuked the king, and Ahaz had exhausted God's patience because of unbelief and rejection of the Lord. Oh. And yet, get the, oh, in spite of what? The weakness of the king's faith in God, instead he trusted in Assyria. And even in spite of his ungodly alliance with the enemy, check this out, the Lord gave a sign anyway. This is so like our God. Verse 13, then Isaiah said, Hear now, you house of David. Now he's talking to the whole people of God. Is it not enough to try the patience of humans? Are you going to try the patience of my God also? Ah, here it is. Therefore, the Lord himself will give you a sign. The virgin will conceive and give birth to a son, and you will call him Emmanuel. He'll be eating curds and honey. And when he knows enough to reject the wrong and choose the right, for before the boy knows enough to reject wrong and choose the right, the land of these two kings you dread will be laid waste. Wait, what? The Lord will bring on you and your people and on the house of your father a time unlike any since Ephraim broke away from Judah. He will bring the king of Assyria. This sign had an immediate significance to Ahaz. A woman who was then a virgin would get married, conceive, and bear a son whose name would be Emmanuel. This son would be a reminder that God was with his people. Are you catching that? And would care for them even when trust is weak and even when the enemy is threatening. It's likely that this virgin was Isaiah's second wife, his first wife, having died. It's like, okay, so someone's going to get pregnant, have a kid, and call him Emmanuel. (gasps) Instead of trusting the Lord, Ahaz continued to trust Assyria for help. And Isaiah warned him that Assyria would become the enemy. Isaiah prophesied that the Assyrians would invade Judah and ravage the land. And agriculture would cease. The people would have only uh, only dairy products to eat. The rich farmland would become wasteland. The people would be forced to hunt wild beasts in order to get food. What? It would be a time of great humiliation great suffering and all of this could have been avoided had the leaders trusted in the Lord. So what happened? Did the prophecy come true? Did the words of Isaiah actually come to pass? They sure did. The two threatening kings, they both died just two years later. What? Assyria, they came in and defeated Syria in 732 And Assyria invaded Israel in 722. And even 65 years later, the nation no longer existed at all. What? Prophecy fulfilled. So what, preacher? What's the point of all this? In the midst of trouble, faith in God's promises is the only way to find peace, my friend. And next, the ultimate fulfillment of this prophecy is in the virgin birth of our Lord Jesus Christ. What? It's a dual fulfillment. It's amazing. The virgin birth of Jesus Christ is a key doctrine. Well, that's the (laughs) understatement of the year. Isaiah famously declares in verse 14, therefore the Lord himself will give you a sign. The virgin will conceive and give birth to a son and will call him Emmanuel. This was but one of many prophecies, here it is, concerning Jesus. It was written some 740 years before he was born. There were many prophecies that were written about the Messiah throughout the Old Testament. And these prophecies specifically pointed out where he would be born, the conditions surrounding his birth, his human family of origin, and many other specific details as well. They also speak of the major events of the life and even the death of Jesus in great detail. Here it speaks of the fact that the mother will be a virgin. In his book, Science Speaks, Peter Stoner applies the modern science of probability to just eight prophecies regarding Christ. Just eight. He says the chance that any man might have fulfilled all eight prophecies is one in ten to the 17th. (laughs) That would be one in 100 quadrillion. Stoner suggests that if we take 10 to the 17th silver dollars, lay them on the face of Texas, they will cover all of the state two feet deep. Can you imagine? Now mark one of these silver dollars, stir the whole mass thoroughly, blindfold a man, and tell him he can travel as far as he wishes, but he must pick up that one marked silver dollar. What chance would he have of getting the right one? Stoner concludes, just the same chance that the prophets would have had in writing these eight prophecies and having them all come true in any one man, Provided they, providing they wrote them in their own wisdom, right? There were far more than eight prophecies fulfilled. The odds are incalculable. Try to remember that when someone suggests Jesus' fulfillment of prophecy was just a coincidence my friend it wasn't what am I saying we can trust him trust who Emmanuel God himself is with us when enemies attack us if we will call out to the Lord for mercy he will deliver us he'll pour out compassion on us if an enemy dislikes, ridicules, mocks, hates, opposes, degrades, or does evil things against us, yeah, God has mercy, he says he'll deliver us. Friend, if, if accidents, diseases, financial difficulties, unemployment, divorce, the death of a loved one, a host of other hardships, what is it you're facing, misfortunes attack us, can you hear me? God will have mercy and deliver us. God longs to deliver us. Put your trust in Emmanuel, God with us, and you too will be saved. Praise God, let me pray for you today. May the Lord bless you, may the Lord keep you, may the Lord be gracious to you, may the Lord make his face to shine upon you, May the Lord enable you to trust in Him like you've never trusted Him before, and for you to find everything that your heart is longing for. I pray these things with you and bless you by faith in the name of the Father, the name of the Son, and the name of the Holy Spirit. Amen. God bless you. Thanks for watching, and a very Merry Christmas to you all.